Hello and welcome to the On-Call Consults in Less Than 10 Minute series on ENT in a Nutshell, a complement to Hedmere's online survival guide. I'm your host, Will Dattar, and today we're joined by Dr. Kendall Tashi, a board-certified head and neck surgeon. In this episode, we will cover tracheotomy requests for adults. Let's jump right in. There are many indications for a tracheotomy, which can be really separated into four main categories. So relief of airway obstruction, improving pulmonary toilet, surgical access, and prolonged ventilatory requirements with failure to progress toward extubation, which will be the focus of this episode. Prolonged intubation, which is defined as intubation beyond about seven to 10 days, has been, has been associated with increased rates of laryngeal and airway stenosis and potentially ventilator-associated pneumonia, though this is controversial. Benefits of a tracheotomy in the setting of prolonged ventilatory requirements include reduced need for, for sedation, earlier mobilization and rehabilitation, improved patient comfort and tolerance, improved patient communication, and improvement of pulmonary toilet as direct tracheal suctioning is available. A tracheostomy will not, however, prevent aspiration and in some cases may worsen dysphagia, though its presence can mitigate some of the complications of aspiration due to ease of tracheal suctioning. Dr. Tashi, what are some alternatives to tracheostomy placement that are important to consider prior to proceeding with a tracheotomy? Yeah, so in cases of severe respiratory failure with high ventilatory requirements, it may be beneficial for the tracheotomy to be delayed until the ventilatory requirements have improved, especially if improvement is expected soon. Having higher ventilatory requirements may impair the tolerance of the procedure as well as cause issues with air leakage afterwards during healing. In the setting of COVID, early tracheotomies in patients who are still testing positive for COVID and assumed to be infectious may be delayed to protect staff as airway manipulation is high risk for transmission. And depending on the patient's overall situation and prognosis of his or her underlying condition, a goals of care discussion may be appropriate to determine if a tracheotomy is in line with the patient's family, patients and family's wishes. And what patient history is important for these consults? Oftentimes, these patients will be sedated and intubated, and so you'll have to gather history from the primary team, the medical records, and family members. Uh, some of the most important factors include the patient's airway history, which includes things like the reason for the patient's ventilator requirement, uh, their intubation history, and reintubation history. So, for example, was this patient a difficult intubation, and if so, why? If the patient was extubated before and required reintubation, and things along that line. Um, the patient's ventilata- ven- ventilator settings, including the PEEP, the FiO2, and their pulmonary reserve, will be important in determining how long a patient can go without ventilatory requirements. Um, If the patient is on ECMO, this can make uh, transport to the operating room more complicated and uh, necessary uh, preparation should be made. If the patient has had any prior uh, airway procedures or examinations, um, other important factors include things like any anatomic abnormalities or conditions that may lead to C-spine deformity or instability. So things like trisomy 21, rheumatoid arthritis, muscular dystrophy, or compression fractures. Uh, bleeding disorders or anticoagulation status are also important to take into account. So assuming that the patient has a definitive airway established already, what are the key supplies that you would bring to these consults? For these types of consults, generally basic personal protective equipment and a headlight will be sufficient. Um, If there's concern for airway inflammation or a mass in the upper aerodigestive tract, a flexible scope can be considered. However, this is generally not very helpful as tissue collapse around the endotracheal tube and secretions preclude good visualization beyond the oral and nasal cavities. And what physical examination do you perform? 
Yeah, so I would start with a general head and neck examination with special attention to the neck. So you're looking at things like neck length and girth. Does this patient have a short, thick neck? Uh, neck landmarks. Can you palpate the thigh? thyroid cartilage, the cricoid cartilage, and the sternal notch. In some individuals with shorter and thicker necks, the cricoid can actually be quite close or even deep to the sternal notch. With respect to the thyroid, can you palpate any abnormalities within the thyroid, such as large nodules or a goiter? Uh, with respect to vessels, can you palpate a high-riding and nominate artery? I would also look at the general body habitus and the BMI as this will impact overall difficulty. And what diagnostic labs and imaging do you uh, order uh, preoperatively? Uh, in intubated patients, a lot of the important things have often already been ordered by the ICU team carried for the patient, but relevant items include basic labs like CBC, BMP, and a coagulation panel. Um, anticoagulation is not a contraindication to tracheotomy, but it does warrant a meticulous approach to hemostasis during the procedure and careful postoperative care. Uh, preoperative imaging is often available already and can be helpful to look for the presence of a high-riding innominate. Uh, if it's not available, unless there were particular concerns for this, I would not specifically order imaging for the purposes of planning a tracheotomy. So I know tracheotomies can be performed open or percutaneously. Uh, can you first describe some advantages and disadvantages of an open tracheotomy? Sure. So an open tracheotomy requires making an incision into the skin followed by dissection down to the trachea and ultimately placement of the trach tube. Uh, this is typically performed in the operating room, though in some settings it can be performed in an ICU if appropriate equipment and personnel are available. The advantages of an open trach include better exposure and visualization by the surgeons, allowing easier control of bleeding and easier visualization of structures. Open trachs allow for better retraction in cases where the cricoid may be situated retrosternally or if a patient is unable to have the neck extended. Open trachs are generally easier if the patient does not have palpable landmarks externally, and you can actually defat the neck in front of the trachea, which can facilitate easier and safer trach tube exchanges and make replacement of the trach easier in the setting of accidental decannulation. Additionally, uh, open tracheotomies allow placement of a Bjork flap or placement of stay sutures, which can theoretically create a safer airway overall. In general, open tracheotomies are a safer option if there are concerns related to the ease of the procedure due to patient factors. Uh, the disadvantages of an open trach include the need for a larger incision and also uh, usually the need to perform this in the operating room in most cases. And this uh, requires the patient to be transported and handed off, which can result in uh, pulmonary decompensation or de-recruitment of the lungs prior to starting the procedure. And what are some advantages and disadvantages then of a perk trach? Um, so a perk trach is a procedure where a needle is first introduced into the airway, followed by serial dilation of this tract and ultimately placement of the trach tube. The advantages of perk trachs include the fact that they generally do not need to be performed in the operating room and can be performed at the patient's bedside in the ICU, and the need for only sedation as opposed to general anesthesia. The perk trach can, however, be difficult to perform in patients without palpable landmarks and can make tracheotomy uh, changes potentially more difficult in the future due to no stay suture placement. Perk trachs are more likely to cause fracturing of the trachea or piercing of the posterior tracheal wall, and if any bleeding is encountered, this is less easy to control as there is no real surgical access. A bronch is required during the procedure, so additional personnel and equipment are required, and often an ultrasound is required to evaluate the neck prior to beginning the procedure. So in general, perk trachs are best suited for patients with good anatomy who are critically ill or relatively unstable where transport to the operating room poses risks and has the potential to cause disruption of patient care. And what uh, disposition and follow-up do you recommend for these patients? Yeah, so most patients can have their trachs changed in the first three to seven days after placement if their respiratory status allows. Uh, they may have their trachs downsized or replaced with an uncuffed tracheotomy tube if there is no longer a need for positive pressure ventilation. 
prior to discharge with a trach tube, patients and their caretakers must be familiar with tracheostomy care, including saline installation, suctioning, and inner cannula exchange. Lack of care can lead to crusting, infection, and mucus plugging, which can lead to potentially catastrophic outcomes. Most institutions will have formalized tracheostomy tube care training for discharge purposes that patients and caretakers should be required to complete. All patients will require supplies for trach care at home, including flexible suction catheters and suction machines, replacement tracheostomy tubes, including one size smaller than the one in place, and replacement inner cannulas. Obtaining these supplies is often something that social work can help with and may take several days to acquire, so planning for this ahead of time is often warranted. So thanks, Dr. Tashi. That concludes our episode on tracheostomy requests for adults. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.